When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheel and Rob Kelly. And back this week is Bob Fisher. How you doing, Bob? Doing great, Rob. It's glad to be I'm glad to be here. It's glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> this is fun. Thanks for inviting me back for uh, a great great song. Yes, uh, we are going to be talking about All Along the Watchtower, one of the jewels of the Dylan Crown. This is although I will say this song I think has a weird little asterisk next to it, and that I think if if you are somewhat aware of of the Dylan legend, you absolutely put this on the top ten of you know his most successful songs, his mm-hmm. most influential songs. At the same time, I'd say the average person has no idea this is a Bob Dylan song. Probably think uh, it's a Jimi Hendrix. It's a song. Jimi Hendrix song because <laughs> if you've ever seen any documentary on the History Channel about the '60s, then the first five seconds you'll hear that chung 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 sound of the Jimi Hendrix cover. Yep. And it is really that is the version that everybody knows. But, of course, it is a Bob Dylan song. It appears on the 1967 all-acoustic album, John Wesley Harding, and it is an acoustic song. And it is after, apparently, Hendrix recorded it, I think, about six months after it was originally released. And after that, Dylan just completely said, oh, his version's much better and has pretty much done it as a Hendrix tribute after that. I don't think I've ever heard him <laughs> do it acoustically uh, post post Hendrix, but nevertheless, the original version is a really wonderfully spooky, spare acoustic song along the Watchtower. It's only uh, really three verses, very short, amazingly compact for all the interpretation that uh, people have lent to the song. An amazingly short, compact song. 12 lines, 130 words, under three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this thing just barrels through. staggering. Uh, it opens with two characters, the Joker and the Thief, talking to one another. And it says, as the quotes, there must be some way out of here. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Businessmen, they drink my wine. Plowmen, dig my earth. None of them along the line know what any of it is worth. And then the Thief responds. And then we have a brief uh, two lines, just two lines that are not the conversation. And then the final uh, part of the song is outside in the distance, a wild cat did growl. Two riders were approaching. The wind began to howl, which seems to suggest the song is starting, is ending where it started, because that that seems to be the the characters, the two riders in any interpretation of the song I've ever seen are the Joker and the thief. Exactly. So the song seems to circle back in and on itself, uh, ending where it began. So, you know, Bob, what do you think? I mean, I know this is always sort of a fool's errand <laughs> trying to figure these right. things out, but what do you think this song is about exactly? Yeah, that's interesting because I think it's, um, I, you know, I think you had it exactly right about it. It's two guys, the Joker and the Thief, talking about stuff. And I think it's interesting because I had no idea early on listening to this thing. And in fact, uh, you know, Hendrix recorded this sucker like six months after it was released. Hendrix did his cover. And I actually got the lyrics wrong in that first bit. Um, Businessman, come drink my wine. Mm. I thought the verse after that for years was, and come dig my herb. I thought he was inviting the businessman in (laughs) to have a drink and take a toke. 
Interesting. Okay. That's what I thought it was for years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it came on the radio. I think uh, I listened to a lot of independent radio. And this is years after, you know, having the Hendrix version in my head. And I heard the uh, uh, Dylan version again and thought, wait a minute. Did he just say plowman dig my earth? <laughs> wait a minute. So went back and... Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, some people say that the Joker is Dylan and the thief is the other side of Dylan, hmm. uh, the negative Dylan, the Dylan who takes, uh, who makes his life miserable. Uh, another version I saw, and this was funny because I saw somebody else write a thing about this saying that um, the Joker is um, early black blues singers making, you know, talking about their life. And again, Bob Dylan, a big blues, early sure, blues fan, sure, Robert yeah. Johnson, Blind Willie, as we talked before. Uh, and some people say that this, the Joker is the old blues singers, and the thief is Elvis Presley, who stole, stole the blues guys <laughs> and gave it to a white audience. So, I mean, there's all kinds of interpretations, and I think that's, I liked that one. Uh, not that I hate Elvis. I love Elvis. I'm you know, a big Elvis fan, too, along with all the early blues and stuff. But I loved that interpretation that, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it's somebody else stealing earlier stuff. But the beauty of this song is, like you just said, it could, to me, and I didn't think of this early on. This is stuff, you know, within recent memory. A few years ago, I started... Uh, going back into Dylan and looking at some of his lyrics again. And I thought, similar to you, that it almost sounds like the last verse should be the first verse. Yeah, yeah. Like it starts there. And then when I started looking it up, uh, there's a guy who wrote a whole, uh, I didn't read the whole thing because it was pages and pages and pages. I mean, it was like a book on just this song going through history and, and trying to, you know, say that it, he's talking about not only old blues guys, but slavery and owners and slaves and just all these kinds of things going on. I don't know that it was all of that personally. Um, you know, to me, uh, being a music guy and loving the sound first before I even get into the lyrics, this was one of those Dylan songs that hit me immediately, uh, whether it was Hendrix or him. And I heard Hendrix's version first. I have to admit, I did hear Hendrix's version before I knew Bob Dylan's version. Um, as we talked before, my first Dylan album was Highway uh, 61 Revisited. Right, right. Uh, because I heard uh, the Dylan song, I went back to the store the next day after John Lennon said, hey, the best writer in the world is, is Bob Dylan. So I went and got uh, Highway 61 Revisited, and the very next day, Blonde on Blonde had already been released. Wow. So I, I got that like the next day and then bought the two earlier albums before Highway 61. And then later in the year, this sucker was released. The John uh, Wesley Harding album was released. And by that point, now having three or four Dylan albums under my belt, playing them right next to my Beatles albums, when I got John Wesley Harding, I thought, whoa, this is like old Dylan. It was, it was almost like to me after Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde where he's got electric guitars and it's a little raucous, a little, you know, a little more rock and roll as opposed to folk type stuff. Because I initially thought of Bob Dylan as that old folk singer, you know, not old, but that folk right, singer. the guy that did folk songs, yeah. Exactly. 
uh, and it wasn't until John Lennon said I should listen to him that I said, oh, okay, thanks, John. I'll go listen to him and got totally hooked. So when this one came out, uh, again, I heard it as Hendrix, and I thought he was talking about, you know, a couple of guys just having some wine, getting high, and talking about philosophy, that it was much later that I got into the Dylan version. And, um, you know, now I, 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 it's, I love both versions. I love the Hendrix version, but now after actually listening to Dylan's version over and over again, uh, I think that's where it is. That's the best ever version. He's done it, I understand, over 2,000 times. Yes, it has been performed live uh, 2,257 times. Jeez, oh, that's, that's staggering. Uh, he didn't play it recently, though, did it? It's not in his current tour. Uh, no, uh, he played it last year, July 16th, which is almost a year ago exactly. So he's given it, he's given it, it's always, almost always a... Uh, um, an, encore, an encore, you know, an encore show capper, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I said, yeah, the, the, the acoustic version is, is hypnotic. Uh, just yeah. the simple instrumentation. Um, there's a, there's a story I heard about, uh, in the recording of this album, because it's so simple, it's really just Bob and the guitar and some drums and the occasional harmonica. Uh, it's so simple that, um, one time George Harrison ran into the drummer, Kenny Buttry, mm. uh, and they were talking about this album, and George Harrison thought it was so simple that it must have been impossible to record. Like, there was no way you could get... <laughs> it must have been, you know, hours... And Ken Buttry said, no, we pretty much banged it out in two sessions. <laughs> you know, and that was it. And this is this is one of the few Dylan albums... I mean, we don't want to... I don't want to get too far afield from the song as opposed to talking about the album. But the album is one of it it stands fairly unique in the Dylan canon in that it was recorded very simply there are no outtakes there are no alternate songs uh there are other versions right. and in fact the recorded version that you hear on the album is a stitched together uh, version of two different takes but there are no alternate songs i mean Dylan pretty much knew what he wanted got in recorded it in two days and got out and and he really has never had that uh, that sort of ease of recording since then no, and it's a simple song to play. It's it's an A minor. It's uh, for guitar players out there. It's if you can look it up. It's very simple. There, it's a three chord, basic um, pattern thing. Now he plays it nice because they started in the A minor key, going to G F back to G. You might think, wow, that's G major, but it's that A minor that gives it that eerie. And he plays the harmonica in the higher register as opposed to like John Lennon with the chords and the rah, rah, rah. His is kind of eerie in that really high-pitched, it, 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 it's very spooky, very spooky in that harmonica with this song. Um, yeah, it is very, very spooky. And, and that's, I mean, I feel like almost the whole album is kind of that way. It has this weird, again, a lot of Dylan songs have this, this sort of indeterminate place. It seems right. to be in the past, but maybe not. I mean, the album cover has him uh, in on his, apparently on, on his Woodstock property with these uh, local musicians, and there's like a woodsman or something, or like a local <laughs> the local right. handyman or something is, is right. posed behind it, which should prove that pretty much anybody could be on a Dylan album cover if they just happen to be around. Uh, I always sort of took it that it's Dylan talking to himself, like a lot of songs. I mean, I think the thing about none of them along the line know what any of it is worth. feels like maybe a shot at a record company. Mm -hmm. uh, that nobody knows what any, you know, nobody really appreciates what I'm doing or the value. Cause this was when he was in the middle of, you know, a, a sort of a, um, protracted argument with, with, with Columbia records. He had had the motorcycle accident and they were pressuring him to come back to work. And he just wanted to kind of hang out with his wife and his kids. So, I, and, and he was also, 
his relationship with his manager, the uh, famous Albert Grossman, uh, right. w- was souring at that point. I mean, there's another song in this album called Dear Landlord, which is <laughs> Please Don't Put a Price on My Soul, which people think is directly about Albert Grossman. So, And then in the second verse, when he the song talks about, uh, he says, There are many here among us who feel that life is but a joke, but you and I, we've been through that, and this is not our fate. So let us not talk falsely now. The hour is getting late. I mean, this... After pushing psychedelia, psychedelica, delia, whatever, delia, psychedelia, yeah, yeah. psychedelia, uh, yeah, psychedelia with blonde on blonde, uh, you know, you know, he then pulled back and did mm-hmm. this, and it was almost like the people that had followed him into psychedelia, he was leaving behind. Now he was then saying, okay, now I'm going to go back and do this, and you know, uh, again, let's not put, I don't want to put too much meaning into it, but he was sort of divesting himself of that hippie movement that he himself had helped create. And I wonder if that's not those lines aren't a particular reaction to that, where he's saying, you know, because those people were saying everything was sort of very cynical, very dark, and here he is saying, no, 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 we're not believing in all that. Let's let's not waste time talking about that stuff. Let's move on to something else. That's the sort of read I get on it. Now the whole thing about the you know uh, all the women came and went barefoot ter- servants too outside in the distance a wild cat did growl that stuff I just leaves me bewildered <laughs> yeah, no I have idea. no idea you know I have no, no idea what it means but no. it, it is hypnotic and it's spooky and I have to say uh, when this was quoted in Watchmen uh, in issue eleven of Watchmen it's literally used in a scene of two guys Night Owl and Rorschach heading towards Ozymandias's base at the end of the thing. It's two riders were approaching. The wind began to howl. It's quite literally that. Hmm. Uh, and that might have been the first time I even knew it was a Dylan song when it was quoted to Dylan in the in the end of the, the end of that issue. I was like, because I think I probably figured it was Jimi Hendrix as well. I didn't know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Bob was obviously, he loved Jimi Hendrix. He was very touched that Hendrix liked the song so much. And again, just uh, it became a Hendrix song in his mind after this. Well, it's it's really fun too to to um, to read the history of not only the song but how it came into Hendrix's purview. How did Hendrix find out about the song? And I love the stories. It goes the stories go from everywhere to uh, Paul McCartney having an acetate of it and playing it at a party, and Hendrix said, "Wow, can I borrow that?" <laughs> and you know, yeah, uh, again, no, Jimmy. No, yeah, exactly. To I mean, there's so many stories. You know, I don't want to go into them all now, but uh, if you just Google this song, you don't even need to put anything else around it. Just Google all along the Watchtower and talk about a rabbit hole. It is amazing. Now you're you're much more familiar with his uh, chronolo- chronology than than I am. Was he into his Christian? phase yet has he been born again no he, this is that's a that's a decade off that's okay decade well, he, had, future. he had had the motorcycle accident yes and this was written during his recovery time right. of that right and i think to me that's why i love not i didn't know that but i love this album so much because of its simplicity as far as um orchestration uh, none of the songs are you know hardcore rock and roll you know big orchestrated uh, lead guitars all over the place. But, and I don't want to get into the album either, but the album, the songs on that John Wesley Harding album lend themselves so beautifully to be covered by rockers that, um, and I think just this song is a great example of that. I mean, we're talking about a hit song um, that was made a hit song 
See, I don't even know how far up the chart the Dylan version got because I don't mm. believe it was ever even released as a single. I, I don't think it ever even went there. I think it was from what I understand, he, he released it on the B side of. It was released as a single. I'm wrong. It was released as a single with "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight." There you go. There you go. Again, with this song, there's so many things going around in my head about this that, um, uh, you know, because Dylan himself wrote such great, great songs. And unlike his Like a Rolling Stone or so many other great songs that he wrote, his folk songs particularly, that went on and on and on and on and on. And, and, he, and he just probably exhausted every lyric in his head that he could think of on that topic. This song is so different than that, but it is so, particularly the Dylan version, if you really listen to the version on this album, uh, it's as if he wanted to say, how can I tell this story in as few words and syllables as possible and still get the emotion and feeling across? And typical to Dylan, he's going to put something in there that I don't, I don't, I don't think if you asked him point blank, he would give you a straight answer as to what this song means. Oh, like he I'm doesn't, sure he would not, yeah. He doesn't do that for any other song, no. so I'm sure he wouldn't do it for this one either. But that's the beauty, I think, of Dylan is, you know, you can tell it like that. And to me, I agree with you. I think it's Dylan talking to Dylan in this song. I think he himself is the joker and the thief and the two guys riding on the horse. It's Dylan talking to both sides of his brain. The logical and the emotional. and um, uh, But I like what I read somebody else said. I think I like the first, those last two lines at the very end of this thing mm-hmm. should almost be at the beginning because it sets it up. Yep. Yeah. Then you can go, the Joker and the Thief were talking because it sets, that sets it up. Um, I heard that when Dylan, something else I read, I heard that when he does it live, since I've never seen him live, and I understand you've seen him once or twice. <laughs> once or twice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> once or twice, including what, two weeks ago? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Staggering. But uh, I understand when he does it live now, he, uh, at one point, he played it live with the Grateful Dead, uh, or the band, I forgot which one. And oh, he's done it both. He's, it's on virtually, if you go and you look at the, the page on his website, it's on every live album that he's done. Oh, okay. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, he, I understand, uh, at the end comes back and reprises the the first verse again. Yes. So that actually does end with, there must be some kind of way out of here. So the Joker to the thief. Yeah. There's so much confusion. I mean, it, it is so good in its simplicity and language. And the fact that when you read that he didn't apparently work on it even to write it, he didn't work on it for weeks and weeks and months and months. It came fairly easily. And then, uh, as you said, the drummer said that they banged it out in a couple of takes or yeah, yeah. a couple of missions. It's, it's yeah, just I had, Yeah, I had heard that he wrote most of these on a train ride. Uh, he was taking a train somewhere, and he wrote most of them uh, on a train, which is sort of just amazing. Yeah, and then they said that after the Hendrix version came out, this thing just became – it's the Hendrix version is the sixties. It just means yes. that any movie that takes place in the sixties has been used hundreds of times. It's been covered. Uh, it was used as a, a motif, a, a plot element in Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> the new version of Battlestar Galactica. I didn't see that. No, that's yeah. Great. It's crazy. There's this whole thing where there's, there's this sort of uh, a bunch of notes that are played and that sort of means something to somebody. And, 
you know, they don't tell you that it's all along the watchtower. You just have to kind of know it's all along the watchtower, and then that leads to a hint of what the where the what the backstory of Battlestar Galactica is. But it becomes a big part of uh, of that storyline in the in the re, in the revamped version of it. So it's it's crazy. The, the song is just everywhere now. Not everyone uh, was a fan. Uh, right. Some people have been uh, have been a little critical. His old pal Dave Van Ronk said this about Watchtower, which is very funny. He says, the whole artist mystique is one of the great traps of this business because down the road lies unintelligibility. Dylan has a lot to answer for there because after a while he discovered that he could get away with anything. He was Bob Dylan and people would take whatever he wrote on faith. So he could do something like All Along the Watchtower, which is simply a mistake from the title on down. A watchtower is not a road or a wall. You can't go along it. <laughs> I, think, I think Dave is missing kind of the larger point a little bit. Yeah. And maybe a little bit of jealousy is sort of factoring in on that answer. Yeah, I uh, think so. You know, because yeah. uh, you know, Dave and Rock was there first, and here comes this kid coming in, sing, singing Woody Guthrie songs, and all of a sudden he becomes the biggest thing since sliced bread, while Dave and Rock is still, you know, got the guitar case open and asking for a coin. So I, I, I feel like... There's a little bit of jealousy. Yes, literally a watchtower is not something you can walk along, but it depends on how big a watchtower. I mean, you know, come on, Dave. I think that's a little much. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, he, he was, he's unique in that. Most people, most of the people that have spent a lot of time analysis, uh, analyzing Dylan have have said this is one of the great songs and said it, the, the, the way it defies your expectations, it sets you up for this grand ballad that you're about to hear, this long story. You're, the, the setup is almost like a... Like a Lily, Rosemary, and the Jack of Hearts, you're expecting yes. some ten minute, you know, huge epic, and then yes. one more verse, and then he's like, "All right, I'm out of here. Move on to the next song." You're like, "Wait, what?" You know, yeah, exactly. And then he's and then he's almost screwing with you purposely later on in uh, the ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, which is a long song and tells this roundabout story, which kind of goes nowhere and ends with uh, this bromide. At the end, which is almost saying you really didn't need to hear all five minutes of this. You could, I could have just said this part at the end. So he's he's being very playful here, even though a lot of the album sounds very serious. It does sound right. very grim and serious. And it, you know, um, there's some the liner notes of this album are very strange. Uh, they're to me they border on kind of just completely unintelligible. I don't know what any of them mean. So a lot of this album is is left. It just leaves me shaking my head. But it's it's very listenable. Every time I've ever heard this version, the acoustic version. I just I listen to the whole thing. I mean, again, it's it's like two minutes and forty five seconds. Not that it takes long, but it's it's just very catchy. It's for, totally it's, catchy. You know? It's amazing, and it's the way you know the Jimi Hendrix version starts off with that that th- those bomb 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 bomb, and as soon as that happens, everybody in the planet knows what's coming. Yep, we we all know. But Bob Dylan's version, the way he starts it with just him on the acoustic guitar. It do, to me, it does the same thing. It's so iconic that had Jimmy not recorded his version, I think eventually people would have caught on to this thing and thought, wow, that is that is great Bob Dylan right there. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that the quote that you just said, that some writers can get away with, and you could almost understand some people thinking that if they're reading a Dylan song and they just don't get it at all. They could think, well, this is just... He's getting away with just just throwing words together uh, because he's Bob Dylan, you know. Uh, so not for this song. That doesn't apply, I don't think, for this song or much of Bob Dylan's work. But there are writers that we know who who are huge 
based on an earlier or a song or two they wrote that went through the roof. And then they can get away with, with doing something that, you know, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, that's, that's one of those other John Lennon type. That was a Paul song, but, uh, John and, and, and Dylan, uh, had this kind of an interesting relationship that um, when uh, one of the stories of how Hendrix may have heard this song for the first time was at a party, as I mentioned earlier, where Paul had an acetate of Sgt. Pepper's for the first time, and he was playing this this thing for people who had never heard it. And Dylan was there. And afterwards, somebody asked Dylan what he thought of it, and he said, a little indulgent. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always thought, yeah, that's pretty funny from, you know, and... uh, and basically around the same time that this one was released, uh, there was a lot of good music being put out there uh, the year that this came out, 1966, 67, 68. Um, it, it's even hard to sometimes um, you know, wrap your head around the kinds of music that was coming out at that time period. And in the midst of all these things and these people that were happening, everybody from uh, animals to really hot blues stuff, Eric Burden and, and these guys. And the common thread through any of them when you talk to them is Bob Dylan. Yeah. It's, it's Bob Dylan. They all go back to him. And when you hear guys who you think are just the best in the world and they say, well, I kind of picked up this little verse because of something Bob Dylan said or that little song here and there. And then when a song like All Along the Watchtower comes out and you realize how absolutely brilliant it is because like i said it's 12 lines 130 words for crying out loud and you can analyze it and study it for years and years and years and unless bob dylan says "Mm, nope the joker was this guy and the thief was that guy and i'm really talking about the bathtub we had to install then you can make up whatever you want it to think and how it applies to you, which is, I think, what good songwriting is. And um, Bob Dylan, she's... I mean, how many hits has he actually had? Bob Dylan hits, where his version makes it to the top as opposed to the covers. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole separate industry of people covering... If you go to the wiki page for the song, there's like 50 covers. This thing has just went on forever. It's staggering. Yeah. The question I also was thinking, and I looked to try to find it, did Hendrix ever meet Bob Dylan? Did they ever do anything together? And there's two or three stories that say yes or no. Uh, one was where Bob was getting out of a, a, a cab about to go somewhere, and he sees a guy across the street yelling his name and running at him. <laughs> and Dylan gets a little scared until the guy got close enough, and he realized it was Jimi Hendrix. And Hendrix was apparently like a little schoolboy, you know, <laughs> who was just couldn't get two words out. And all he could say was, I love your music. I love your music. And and uh, Dylan apparently told Hendrix right then that uh, you've done the best cover of my music than anybody. And apparently the way the story goes, Hendrix floated back across the street <laughs> because he didn't even think Bob Dylan knew who he was, let wow. alone that he had heard his music. And, you know, and I'm thinking, how could you not know? Even if, if you're Bob Dylan, you write a song. Six months later, another guy puts it out and it goes up to like number one within minutes. Uh, I think I'd be finding out who that guy is. Yeah. 
Yeah. If anything, so, to thank him for the checks that are going to come in, you know, for the songwriting royalty checks that are coming in. Thank you for putting my kid through college, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Do appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, just such a terrific, terrific song. Yeah, it is. It's it's certainly the most famous song to come off of John Wesley Harding, and it's sort of it's stuck right there in the middle of the album. It's very unassuming, and then just boom, here's this lightning bolt of crazy energy and weirdness that uh, that that you just you know. A lot of the other songs are more folksy and a little more straightforward, especially the last two, which are really straight ahead country songs. But this right. one, this one is a world unto itself, and the fact that so many people have managed to find so much in it uh for so long it's just that's that's how great it is it's all along the watchtower it's one of the great i would put it on the 10 great dylan songs not necessarily one of my 10 favorites but Mm -hmm. 10 of the 10 songs that will be listed in his epitaph this is going to be one of them well i'd put it both there and i'd also put it in one of my top 10 favorite dylan songs of all time uh which is you know when when you started talking about doing the pod dylan i basically sent you three songs i wanted to talk about that's right this was one of them that's right yeah and we've been talking about real obscure stuff on the show lately and i really wanted to do like a hit a big hit and this was one of the big ones you know this was one of the yeah the, the the big one yeah i don't know if it's the big one uh, I'm not sure it gets any gets any better than this, you yeah. know. I uh, well, that's hard to say too, because <laughs> see, that's the thing when you start talking about that's Dylan, right, yeah. Then you go down that rabbit hole, right? yeah. And it's almost <laughs> like what's your favorite Dylan song? Is what's one am I listening to right now? Yeah, yeah. Because, well, then you're talking six. I mean, are you asking me sixties? Are you asking me seventies? Like you know, <laughs> you got a whole thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all along the watch hour. It's it's tremendous. It's a it's it's in this. It's a huge, towering achievement as a, as a story, as a as a song. So, uh, I think that's going to do it for along the Watchtower. We've talked for a half hour. We could do a lot more, but if you want to do more analysis, good lord, go to along the Watchtower analysis in Google. You will find fifty pages it, of people going on and on and on about the different interpretations of this two and a half minute song. It's really remarkable. So, and if you want to learn how to play it on your acoustic guitar, it's very simple. And you can go to Betty Lou's guitar site. <laughs> Into the country, for some reason, genre. Bob Dylan's listed there with about four dozen of his songs <laughs> and uh, simple uh, chords. It's A minor, G, F, G, A minor. There it is. Wow. Mm, amazing. <laughs> so, uh, Bob, thank you for coming back on the show. It was, it's always fun talking to you. I love your enthusiasm for this stuff. So uh, it's great. It's, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks. It's my pleasure. I love talking music and love talking Bob Dylan. Awesome. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can basically get me at the Superman Forever radio podcast. That's my main podcast. I also do a music podcast occasionally over on Two True Freaks. But uh, if you want to catch me on the internet, uh, supermanforever.com is where to find me. All right. Awesome. Everybody, you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's pod underscore Dylan, or you can just find the show over at the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. So thanks, everybody, listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. All along the watchtower, princes kept the view. While all the women came and went, barefoot servants too. Outside in the distance, a wild cat did growl. 